From Miami Law, I'm Aned Uges, and this is The Explainer. First, it's interesting that the, the two completely separate trials, you know, one being civil, one being criminal, are related. There's a through line in them because, the you know, Jones is being sued for defamation in regard to the Sandy Hook school shooting massacre, and the Cruz trial is the Parkland shooting massacre. Uh, so there's the through line of that. Welcome to Season 9 of the Miami Law Explainer, the legal affairs podcast where Miami law experts lend context and historical relevance to today's headlines. Two cases in the courts have been closely watched recently, the Parkland Massacre and the Alex Jones InfoWars defamation trial by two Sandy Hook parents. Miami Law's Innocence Clinic director Craig Trochino unpacks them both. Let's go to executive producer Catherine Skip with the interview. Good morning, Craig. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Good morning. Thanks for having me back. You know, you're always like the first or second episode we do when we come back from break because there's usually a ton of interesting stuff that's happened during the lull. So thanks for coming. Well, thanks for having me back. I I enjoy being uh, either lead off or cleanup hitter. (laughs) Sometimes you're both. Um, So I know you've been super busy lately commenting in the media, uh, doing gavel to gavel on the Parkland trial, but you've also been tracking the Alex Jones twists and turns. The cases differ because, of course, one's criminal, one's civil, but I think they have two things in common that I'd like to ask you about. The accused has already pleaded guilty, or in Jones by default, and also in the copious amounts of victim impact statements, uh, the testimony that we've heard. Um, How unusual is this? Well, I I mean, first, it's interesting that the, the two completely separate trials, you know, one being civil, one being criminal, are related. There's a through line in them because the, you know, Jones is being sued for defamation in regard to the Sandy Hook school shooting massacre, and the Cruz trial is the parkland shooting massacre uh so there's the through line of that uh and the the horrible evidence around all of that uh is by itself interesting that they're both going on at the same time the rarity of the cruise trial is that there was the guilty plea to the actual crime or the 17 crimes uh, 34 actually 17 murders and uh 17 uh, uh attempted murders or aggravated batteries um and so the trial that's happening now is exclusively limited to the penalty and the penalty and the jury's decision will be either life without the possibility of parole or the death penalty. Um, so in Florida, if you get convicted of first degree murder, which Mr. Cruz will be since he pled guilty to it, the only possible outcome is that you will die in prison. The only question to be determined is when and by whose hand, either through life in prison without the possibility of parole or execution. Okay. Um, so you've dealt with the consequences on on the Parkland. I feel like even though the jury in the Texas trial of Alex Jones rendered their judgment, and we don't really know how that judgment's going to end up at the end, there still feels like there's a lot of shoes left to drop. Yeah. Yes. Well, the, you know, another interesting through line in the Jones case is because his lawyer um, made a classic blunder um, and presumably sent a bunch of text messages. But was it a blunder? Or oh, well, did he do that to try to trigger a, a mistrial? Um, I don't I don't know if he tried it. Th- that is, if that's the case, that is the worst conceivable way to try <laughs> and, 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 and goad somebody into a mistrial because it's just 
one, it's damaging to his case. It's horribly damaging to his client. And, you know, we don't know what's in there, but the January 6th committee's already asked for it. Right. I think uh, law enforcement's already asked for, for these text messages. Well, what a rookie move. It's, I, it, it's, um, it, yeah, it's, a, it's it, you know, at, at the risk of uh, uh, paraphrasing uh, The Princess Bride, it's one of the classic blunders. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, and the, the, the weird through line in that is that that was essentially his lawyer, in, in my view, ineffective assistance of counsel, which doesn't really exist in, in civil trials, but right. it, it kind of exists um, in criminal trials. And I say kind of because of the Supreme Court in its ruling over the summer in Shin versus Ramirez. Justice Thomas writes that even if you can establish actual innocence, that's not enough to get uh, traction in federal court on the fact that your lawyer was ineffective when the lawyer who was charged with raising ineffective was himself ineffective. So, you know, this guy's going to get sued and Jones is probably going to get money from him because if his E&O carrier is not on notice after that, they ought to... What's an E&O? Oh, I'm sorry. That's a lawyer. Uh, the errors and omissions uh, uh, insurance, the malpractice insurance. Got it, got it. Um, um Sorry, I get you know excited and I throw out these. <laughs> yeah. uh, so there's probably going to be money damages there, but you never get money damages out of a criminal defense lawyer who's ineffective. And most times you can't even get relief in court because your lawyer was ineffective. So you just sit in jail and twiddle your thumbs because you had an ineffective lawyer. And now the United States Supreme Court rules, if you have a manifestly ineffective lawyer at the trial stage and a manifestly appointed uh, lawyer at the post-conviction stage, you are out of luck. And that case was a death penalty case too. So not only does he get to sit in jail, he gets to get executed by the state of Arizona because the state of Arizona appointed to him two manifestly ineffective lawyers. The The through line in the Jones case, right, uh, is uh, the one of them is the bad lawyering involved. Right. And in criminal cases, you can have a bad lawyer. But let's take a look at the consequences. In a civil case, you get sued and your insurance carrier pays a lot of money. In the criminal context, you may likely not get any relief. And the United States Supreme Court put a very big exclamation point on that over the summer in the case called Shin versus Ramirez. It was two cases out of Arizona, uh, Mr. Ramirez and another gentleman named Jones. Both death penalty cases, um, uh, both had unbelievably ineffective trial counsel and unbelievably ineffective post-conviction counsel, all appointed. They had nothing to do with it. The United States Supreme Court held that post-conviction counsel's errors are the fault of the defendants. Okay. Right? So their sentence stands even though they had ineffective lawyers. Mm -hmm. In the Jones case, he's going to get money out of it. Right. And that's going to be probably pretty easy. But the mountain that a criminal defendant has to climb in order to get relief when their lawyers are ineffective, it, it, it's now become come, uh, akin to what Sisyphus went through in Greek mythology. You get the ball all the way to the top of the hill, but it's going to roll right back right. down on you. And you're going to be stuck doing that until the state kills right. you. So is, is Alex Jones going to... Face criminal charges now because of the tapes, or are they because of the records? Because he committed perjury, or are they protected somehow well, from the court? I don't think that anything that would lead to a perjury prosecution would be protected. None of that is. It's none of it is 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 um, 
privileged in any way. It wasn't attorney-client privilege. It wasn't. It, none of it seems to be uh, of any privileged nature whatsoever. Uh, so it's fair game. Uh, in fact, I, I think during that Jones trial, the judge actually admonished him and said, "In open court, you violated your oath twice. Please don't do it again." Now. My clients don't get the benefit of that, sir, you violated your oath um, twice, please don't do it again. It's, sir, I'm appointing a lawyer for you right now, uh, bailiff, put this gentleman in handcuffs. That's the way my world works. Right. But if you're Alex Jones, you get nicely asked by the judge twice to please remember that you just swore to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth, and you just violated that. So please, stop doing that. Very pretty police. Um, you know, it's, it, it's, it's really quite shocking. So who would go after him on a criminal perjury the 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 state authorities in in Texas in that jurisdiction in Texas would have the would have the 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 jurisdiction in order to pursue perjury charges against him what a tangled web we weave um and then the judge also said do whatever you want with the with the stuff that was missent to you yeah um just absolutely have at it unprecedented and fascinating i would Absolutely love to see all of that. Um, so back to the sad case in Parkland. Um, what has stood out to you most in the in this trial? Wow. Um, I have to say, uh, you know, looking at it as I kind of have to, just of my my career and my experience as a defense lawyer, I think it's without question the worst set of facts. I've ever encountered. Certainly the medical examiner testimony at the end there, uh, Dr. Topps, um, that was some of the worst uh, medical examiner testimony I've encountered. And by worst, I mean the most uh, like devastating, horrible confluence of facts that you can conjure up in your mind. Um, and and that, that's what stood out to me the most. The victim impact statements, um, you know, I've seen those, I've read those before. And, and, but and not 17 in not a row. Not 17 and not to this degree. And uh, not to the point where the entire defense table was wiping tears away from their eyes. Um, uh, you know, um, and the question came up on that. It's like, well, what's going to happen to them? And absolutely nothing there. If you have a pulse, this testimony is impactful to you. And just because these lawyers are, you know, doing their job, rest, rep, representing Mr. Cruz and making sure all his constitutional rights are fully protected. That doesn't mean that they're monsters. They're, they're mothers and daughters and sisters and brothers and cousins and aunts and uncles and all of those things. Um, and they're human beings. And of course they're crying over this. This is, it's, it's, I, I mean, I was I was watching this at the Channel 10 uh, studio commenting on it live and me and the anchor were both in tears mm -hmm. along with everybody else, I'm sure, in the courtroom. Mm -hmm. um, that is a, you know, that was really impactful. Does that mean Mr. Cruz should be put to death? That's what the jury is going to figure out yeah. on this. So there's been a lot of uh, a lot of back and forth that we should release the photos, that that would convince people that, you know, assault weapons are a horrible thing that we don't need. Um, but now I'm hearing the argument after the coroner's report, which you're not seeing the pictures, but that the content, the text of what he said is is available, that that alone should be like hammered out there to people who think assault weapons are fun 
Um, well, I, you know, I don't know from a policy point of view what would what what's going to ultimately move that ball forward. I figured after Sandy Hook, it would be uh, a foregone conclusion, um, and then you have. Uh, you know, Uvalde, and then you have uh, Highland Park, Illinois, and then you have um, the Buffalo. Mar- Buffalo and the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, the, yeah. Park, the Parkland massacre. Um, I don't know that, I mean, there is plenty of data and evidence about the horrible destruction of these weapons um, that I don't know that that presenting it just this one more time is going to move the ball forward on any of that. Um I will say though that the the medical examiner testimony was it, it was just excruciating to to listen to, and I've seen autopsy pictures before and crime scene pictures before. I haven't seen these, thank God, um, but I can sort of create in my mind what they would probably look like having seen them before and listened to this testimony, and I I, I don't think anybody benefits necessarily by seeing by seeing that. So one last thing back to uh to jones so is the judgment or judgments that will be rendered against jones going to have any real impact on jones or even the other purveyors of wackadoo conspiracies theories i can't bring myself to call him a theorist it just sounds too grand too too exalted yeah elevated yeah um that that remains to be seen. I, the, you know, um, there's an old uh, um, sort of. Is it a cautionary moment? It, it, though? Well, it, well, it could be. There's a you know, civil lawyers, civil plaintiffs' lawyers have this. Um, I don't know what what to, to call it. The, like a you know a, a theory or so. You know, getting the judgments is like only fifteen percent of it. Executing the judgment, meaning getting the money that you were awarded, that's where the real challenge comes in. He's been going on about bankruptcy, so that you know there's a lot of that. So they got the this large judgment was a four and a half million or something. Um, uh, having it, at this point, it's a piece of paper. It's worthless until you are able to execute it. Now, if they're able to execute it and cause some real financial harm, then maybe it'll have a deterrent effect in that. Other people will think a little bit more uh, circumspectly when they're speaking about this, when especially when they have a large audience. Mm-hmm. Um, so that might be that might be helpful. And I have a feeling that um, you know the, the the plaintiffs in the Jones case would rather have that happen than the money, because the money's not going to bring. I mean, the money's going to be helpful, but it's not going to bring their kid. Back. Right. But if between the, what are there, two Texas cases and a Connecticut case, between the three cases, if they can bring Alex Jones down by gutting him financially, then it is about the money. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, right. That's the money. The money achieves the end of stopping the misinformation. Right. I don't want to let you go without asking you about what some people call a raid, but I don't know, the search and seizure at Mar-a-Lago <laughs> earlier this week. The execution of a lawfully issued search warrant? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, it's uh, it's it's interesting that the terminology and, I, and, and everything that I've been reading about it, I bristle at the word raid. It wasn't a raid. It was a lawfully executed search warrant. Uh, and lawfully executed warrants are, are executed... Uh, and and conducted searches are conducted multiple times a day 
every day across the country in run-of-the-mill criminal cases. So it's not like guns blazing, bashing the door down oh, three o'clock in the morning. Oh, they in 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 many circumstances, that's exactly the way a no-knock warrant is accomplished. They kick in the door, guns are blazing, everybody's screaming, lots of foul language, and if you think about Breonna Taylor, they go into the wrong door, somebody ends up dead. Right. That didn't happen here. This was probably very polite and professional <laughs> a procedure. We don't know exactly what happened. Right. We also don't know what was taken. Uh, but uh, there was an inventory uh, under federal law that has to be turned over. So there is at least one person who knows exactly what was taken, and he ain't saying. Right. Well, and his lawyer, I assume. Oh, he's taken the fifth. Uh, yeah, 400 okay. plus times. Um, uh, yeah, so, I, I mean, I, I've, I've said previously on other episodes of this that there's 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 a, a two-tiered system of justice in the criminal criminal legal system, uh, those for the haves and those for the have-nots. Um, those the have-nots end up having their homes destroyed and uh, terror, you know, not terror, well, you know, essentially very brute force because that's the way SWAT teams are trained to do. Go in there with brute force, um, lock everything down, get what they're looking for and leave. And, and the mess behind, they don't care. Um, and uh, a lot of people would be of the position, well, you know, we don't really need the Fourth Amendment because, you know, these are just criminals and they, they if they don't have anything to hide, what are they hiding behind? But then you turn the table on that and you have this situation where what appears to be a fairly clear violation of federal statute on records retention um, and a warrant gets issued and it gets lawfully executed in what seems to be a fairly, you know, straightforward, uneventful manner. Now all of a sudden we're living in a fascist state, and I don't, I, I can't, I can't square that, uh, that corner. Um, on, I mean, he seems like a guy who like stole all the silverware and towels out of his hotel room. It's like, <laughs> no, you got to give them back. Like, whoa, dude. Um, yeah, and coincidentally, uh, which I no mean, he stole it out of our house. Let's be serious here. Like, he took stuff from the White House that didn't belong to him. Right, and let's 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 break this down a little bit. Okay, one. It takes probable cause that a, in order to get a search warrant, you need probable cause that a crime has been committed or is about to be committed. And the things that you are going to look for in this location are reasonably calculated to give you evidence of the crime that has committed or is about to be committed. And it has to be sworn to an affidavit by the office, by the law enforcement personnel who are doing it. it has to be presented to a neutral magistrate, a judge. The judge has to look at the the application for the search warrant, the affidavit, the sworn statement, and determine whether uh, it meets the criteria for one probable cause and two is it reasonably specific enough in detail to to pass muster. And those happen all the time. The bigger the case, the more gravity is, the more seriously judges tend to take this. On this case, there's no question in my mind that this is signed off by uh, signed off on by the FBI director. Got to be. Um, and then it goes to this particular magistrate judge. Now, what's lost in the noise on this is uh, the FBI director was appointed by Donald Trump. Yeah. And this magistrate judge was appointed in 2018. Um, let me check my notes. Donald Trump was the president of the United States in 2018. So the FBI director and the judge who signed this warrant are, are both Trump appointees. Craig, those are facts. Like, stop with the facts. Well, you know, I, I you know. I guess I'm biased by <laughs> fact. 
Um, I, 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 I don't. It's a, it's a, it's a personality it's flaw. A flaw. It's, it's one, it's one of the classic blunders. <laughs> well, there's one last thing I'd like to hit on, which kind of goes to a lot of things we've been talking about today, which is like justice has a long memory. So Brianna Taylor, you mentioned Brianna Taylor. Yeah, she and- dropped in that this week. Yeah, the um the the, the some of the officers were in, uh were charged uh oh. in that case. Uh not the ones who actually pulled the trigger because uh, you know there's a qualified immunity issue uh that that's a whole nother podcast, a yeah, qualified we'll, immunity. We'll, <laughs> <laughs> we'll kill that one don't, up. Don't want to go down that road right now. Uh, well I do, but we don't have time for it. Um but at least somebody's going to be held accountable there finally yeah. uh, on it. So, um, yeah. So we see how search warrant gone wrong. It takes – somebody winds up dead. It takes years for someone to be charged and held accountable for it. Uh, and then a search warrant goes right. And the difference in the language used to address both of those circumstances is really – troubling stark and strange to me so much so that biden met with a bunch of historians to talk about where we are in our democracy and how close to imploding yeah um and that's uh you know the the historians um you know there's the old the old curse may you live in interesting times this is the time for historians oh yeah um and and they're uh, you know they're probably loving it yeah rich times Oh, well, with that happy note, (laughs) it's been fun. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for this season of The Explainer. If you enjoy our show, leave us a five-star review with your podcast provider and ask your friends to subscribe. You can always drop us a comment at explainer at miami.edu. Our show is engineered and edited by Christopher Alzadi with theme music composed by Rady Kim from the Frost School of Music. I'm your host, Annette Uges. Today's episode is brought to you by Miami Law's new area of focus on the rapidly expanding practice of healthcare law. For more information, visit the Miami Law homepage at miami.law.edu.